0: The ones that we have currently playing, we need to hold on to. That's so true. But what about the ones that we've already lost? The ones who, you know, as you saw from that research, who tell tell us that they're not sporty, or I'm not, I don't participate in those sports because I'm not good enough. And um, those were the ones that we wanted to engage.
1: This week's episode of Girls With Golds is brought to you by Sport Ireland. For the next few weeks, we're celebrating some of Ireland's most influential women in sport and getting the message out there about participation, leadership and visibility. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Maher. For the next four weeks, we're absolutely delighted to announce that we're going to be partnering with Sports Ireland. We're going to be profiling some incredible women. We're also going to be talking about participation, visibility and all that good stuff. So my first guest is a former rugby international, all-round sports superstar and also current women in sport lead for Sports Ireland, Nora Stapleton. Nora, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: No, thank you for having us and myself and everyone else who you're going to profile. Delighted.
1: Yeah, we're so thrilled. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Adolescent Girls Get Active research report later that uh, came out there in the last couple of weeks. So interesting, some really great insights. But first, I suppose for our audience, Nora, can you bring us through a little bit about your own career in sport and how you got to the position that you're in now with Sport Ireland?
0: Yeah, of course. So I, I guess I kind of mainly started in the GEA circles. I was a games promotional officer here in Dublin and, you know, was the that person who arrived at the school with the bag of balls and the hurls and helmets and uh, coached the kids. So I did that for about six years, kind of in my early mid-twenties and, you know, loved that job. And then from there, I went to the IRFU uh, as the women's development manager. So at that stage, I kind of moved from guess I was playing a lot of Gaelic football and a lot of soccer and then rugby came on my radar and I'd always thought jeez I'd love to give that a try and so started playing rugby um in my mid-20s and then when I saw a job come up in the IRFU for women's rugby I'd already earmarked it as god there's heaps of potential there I'd love to maybe start working in that space and look it was almost as if the stars aligned and the job came up and went for that and spent six years really enjoyable years working for the IRFU and, and trying to make a difference in women's rugby and get more girls and more women playing. Um, and then pretty much two years ago now, this job came up in Sport Ireland, which was, you know, you could say my dream job, getting to work across all areas of women in sport, across all sports. And so I stepped into that role then. and um, It kind of came up just maybe after I retired from international duty. Um, so it wasn't that I had Was finished with rugby by any means but this was just a lovely next step for me and certainly something I wanted to get stuck into so I'm two years into the role now and look I feel we've done a hell of a lot and we've got so much more that we can do and hopefully will do as well.
1: Absolutely I I do want to go back slightly Nora because I feel like you kind of glossed over your actual playing career slightly I mean you said there that you started playing, you know, in your 20s. And, I mean, you, you represented Ireland at the 2010, 2014, 2017 Women's Rugby World Cup, as well as the Six Nations Championships on numerous occasions. So, starting a sport in your mid-20s and then reaching that level, I mean, did you think yourself, wow, I'm, I'm just amazing at this? Or, like, was there a moment where you were like, actually, this is, this is really something that, you know, I could perform at, at that top level? Um,
0: when I first started, God no, I just enjoyed being not having to worry about solo and a football or having to control it with my foot. You know, you could pick up the ball, dodge people, score tries. Um, it was a very the sport was just in its infancy in Ireland. Really, it was taken off. There was a lot more adult teams starting up, and like I just rocked down as to try something new. Um. It was interesting because very early on, you know, a couple of people were like, oh, my God, you could play for Leinster. You could play for Ulster. And God, I think you could definitely play for Ireland. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, that's just ridiculous. I, I was probably wasn't even playing a year or two at that stage. But, um, you know, I always strive to be better and better. And I always like being good at my sport, I guess. And that probably helped me maybe. Uh, progress along that pathway. Like initially, I started off in the wing, fullback, and probably because coming from other sports, I was able to catch. Uh, you know, any high ball coming in, I was able to kick. I was able to sidestep. I'd like to think I was a little bit faster in my youth, but that certainly wasn't the case as I was coming towards the end of my career. Um, and yeah, when I first started playing for Ireland, my first cap was on the wing Um, myself and Ali Miller actually got our first caps together and she was on the other wing and I was on one wing, but I gradually progressed through to the out half position and she stayed out there and scored all the tries. So, um, you know, like, I guess, did I ever think I'd play for Ireland? Certainly not. But once I was there... I just wanted to be a better and better and better. And and then you start comparing yourself to other out-halves from other countries and you want to be as good as them or, or try and match their level. I don't know if I ever got there, but that was always my intention. So I had, what was it, seven really exciting years with Ireland. Um, I lo- wish I had have started when I was younger, Um, obviously. I think I would have been a better player if I was playing for longer. I was always playing catch up um, I feel because I did start that a little bit later but you know it obviously shows that it's never too late to start and there's a lot of girls who started much later than me and have gone on to play for Ireland as well but I'm really excited now because there's girls coming through who started playing when they were 12 years of age and they're now in the Irish team Uh, and that's going to make such a big difference so it's great.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and if that's a, a catch up career, then, you know, <laughs> what a career. I think it says as well a lot for the participation element, like you were mentioning there. And before we kind of move on to talking about that and, and talking about participation and getting people involved in sport, which is so crucial and something that you're really leading up within Sport Ireland, I, I do want to mention the, the Women's World Cup being postponed. Absolutely gutting for players and for fans alike. Uh, Emer Considine actually just on a House of Rugby there during the week was just talking about how she was convinced that it was going to happen and the amount of sacrifices that, you know, players make for training and and also just for their lives, you know, just kind of obviously with the world and the way it's been for the last year, you know, nobody has known what was going to happen. And of course, this is to do with safety and welfare. So that's really crucial. But I suppose, like, how did you feel when you kind of heard that news that it was going to fully be cancelled? I suppose it was just a disappointing announcement, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so disappointing because like that, we're all looking forward to a major tournament and hopefully seeing an Irish team in that tournament as well.
1: Yeah.
0: I was pretty gutted for the girls. Um, everything from yet yeah, the amount of training that you're putting in and you're trying to obviously... They had to go through, they still had to qualify. So they were focusing on all those matches as well. And then you're looking ahead. And, and in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking of work or other commitments that you have going on and how are you going to juggle that? And um, and then suddenly for it all just to change. And I mean, I'm sure there are also players going, like anything, there's always players who are thinking, can I go another year? Um, so I feel sorry if there is anybody feeling like that. And maybe there's not, which is brilliant. Maybe there's some players going, actually I'm a bit relieved. There's you know, like it's COVID has been worrying for everybody. So I'm sure that there might be some relief with a few people as well, perhaps, who think, you know what, it's actually been really hard to do all this training and, and not um and then wondering, are we gonna to have to quarantine for two weeks going into the World Cup and is that gonna mess me up? And like it was all very much the unknown. So I'm sure it's a mix of emotions. One, as Emer pointed out you do give up absolutely everything because you want to be your very best and you want to to be world-class. But then there's the other side of it where COVID was just throwing up so many different obstacles and questions and what-ifs that maybe there's a bit of relief there somewhere as well. But do you know what? At least the decision has been made now and they can refocus uh, and that's probably the best thing.
1: Absolutely. And I saw as well that the chairman of World Rugby said – Our hearts go out to all the players, team, personnel and fans who are preparing and looking forward to the World Cup this year. And, you know, they're committed to making it a great tournament in a couple of years when they can. So here's hoping that that happens. I suppose kind of like leading on from that and moving into your position as, you know, uh, women in sport lead with Sport Ireland. In the last few years, I think from when you were appointed, actually from 2019, there's just been this massive resurgence in, you know, that uh, the talking point of... Women in sport, I think with the 20 by 20 movement, we all saw that as well. I suppose now with, you know, the the COVID-19 pandemic and how everything just stopped, you know, and for the first half of the year, there wasn't even a question really of tournaments and and players getting back and kind of fans and participation. Do you you worry that we're going to be, you know, starting from scratch again when it comes to actually getting people really focused on, you know, turning out for matches and and giving women that rightful place in sport that they deserve?
0: Do you know, I'm probably not as worried, maybe, um, because I think when some sports did open up, you know, when you saw the uh, ladies get football and camogie, when those matches came back, Like we all just were fully engrossed in it, and you know, nearly every single game was either live streamed or it was on TV. And I think it really showed the audience that was captivated by it and wanted to watch it. Um, And so I hope that what that has done is really showing that, like people want to watch this sport, and so we need to make it visible. When COVID first came in and everything did stop, and we had to all watch the reruns of you know previous sporting occasions. I think that really made it visible of the lack of um, archives for women's sport. Uh, and that really made us all go like, oh, shit, like we haven't been recording this. And now when we have nothing, no live sport to show, we have we've such a lack of women's sport to actually yeah. repeat on our TV or news channels. So that was um, that was really evident. And I think what we're now seeing is that we can't let that happen again. You know, that's a, that's a huge thing for us. Um, the 20 by 20 campaign was fantastic. It really gave uh, a lot of people a voice and a common say, or a common, um, yeah, a common voice, I guess, for the whole argument of more visibility for women's sports. So it was, it's really excellent visibility campaign. And, and Sarah and along came Spider and Mary O'Connor and the Federation did an excellent job with that. And um, I think what we're trying to do is that layer underneath. So if there are people inspired by what they see you know, how do we ensure that they have something to then get involved in? And if we're talking about coaches and the ability to see more coaches, that's not just going to happen overnight. How do we ensure the pathways exist within our sports in order to bring those coaches through, to bring the referees through? And from a leadership point of view, you know, the, the, the decisions are made at a board level. So how do we ensure that there are more women on those boards? So that's kind of, like the 2020 made a lot of things very visible from a, probably more the high performance end of the game and our, our role models and our elite mm-hmm. athletes. Um, but then there's this whole, whole other cohort when it comes to decision-making and, and everything else. And and I guess that's a big area that we're trying to tackle with a couple of things that we released this week. Tomorrow, for example, or no, today actually we have a, a program going out, a media training program. So we're inviting any females out there who believe they're the next, you know, amazing panellists or analysts in live sport. We're encouraging them to apply for our programme and, and we want to help them over the next five to six months to be an excellent person on the sideline commentating on sport or, you know, co-commentator, whatever it might be. And and I guess that's the area that we're focusing on. How do we pick people into positions or support people in positions where they can then make a difference?
1: Absolutely. That's great to hear. Even something like that, it's it's about the visibility of seeing you know, women on panels and and talking about sport and not just, you know women's sport, talking about all kinds of sport like that. There just needs to be a lot more of that when it comes to visibility. So it's great to hear that you're doing that. And I suppose the other thing that we wanted to talk about was the the research report that Sport Ireland released. So the Adolescent Girls Get Active research report. Um, so such a fascinating read. And I suppose it was it was undertaken, you know, Sport Ireland said to discover how to encourage teenage girls in particular, and particularly those who are currently disengaged with sport and exercise to take part in regular physical activity. And I think it's something that people, you know, especially if you're involved in sport, you you might take it for granted that uh, participation levels are not that strong, but evidence shows that participation levels plummet during adolescence with just 7% of girls aged 14 to 15 meeting the recommended physical activity. So that's That's not even talking about elite sport. That's not even talking about, you know, making sure that you're a part of a million different clubs. That's actually just reaching the bare minimum in terms of physical activity, which I was really shocked by.
0: Yeah, like that 7% is for those who reach 60 minutes a day of physical activity. And that can include anything from being part of a team or a sport through to walking to school and your kind of active transport so that's fairly broad but look even if i was to talk about those that participate in sports clubs it's still really really low and yeah. it still falls off through those teenage years the key thing for us like i sometimes looked at research because i would try and be you know ha- have looked at all research that sports do and the sports are doing a fantastic job at at researching their own teenage girls as well um, and finding out well how do we keep them involved But I was really curious. I was like, you know, the ones that we have currently playing, we need to hold on to. That's so true. But what about the ones that we've already lost? The ones who, you know, as you saw from that research, who tell tell us that they're not sporty or I'm not, I don't participate in those sports because I'm not good enough. And those were the ones that we wanted to engage. So we... We followed them or the agency we brought in followed them for a week or two two weeks, I think. And they actually tracked their online activity and encouraged them to put up posts and blogs and everything like that. And I think there was like over 4000 items that they had to to go through. Like that's how active these girls were on social media and the platform that they provided to them. Um, But like a, a key thing for me was. I don't need to know their barriers. What I need to know is, yes, they're barriers, but what can we do about it? And how does that match what they're telling us we need to do with our sports programmes? So that's kind of where the eight principles came from, where we're actually trying to provide um, interventions and uh, examples of what coaches, sports providers, um, any of us that are developing these programmes for teenage girls, what do we need to consider when we're making these teenage programmes? Now, a big thing is, We're not stopping there. You know, we had the information and we felt there's no point to support Ireland just holding on to this. There's going to be loads of other people that find this useful, so let's get it out there. But we're also setting up this hackathon kind of online brainstorming exercise where we'll bring in hundreds of people if that's who signs up and we'll brainstorm ideas as to how to get these girls active. And then we're going to create four programs out of that, the trial in the country. We'll obviously monitor, evaluate those and then scale them up so this is only what step one was probably get the report done. Step two now would be this hackathon. Um, so, and so there's probably a, a seven or eight steps to this. So we're a long way off, but like it's all about bringing in other people's voices to help us co-design these programs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's great to hear that there's the practical methods as well, as opposed to just, you know, releasing a report like this, kind of getting it in the papers, talking about it, and then not necessarily seeing what's going to happen as an actionable item. Um, So just, you mentioned the eight pillars there to run through them very quickly. So, you know, I think that it's important to say them just to make sure that they're out there. No judgment, invoke excitement, clear emotional reward, open eyes to what is there, build on existing habits, give girls a voice, and a choice, champion what's in it for them and expand image of what sporty looks like. And I mean, you know, when you rattle them off like that, it seems quite broad and it seems like there's a lot in it. But when you actually kind of go into them on an individual basis, it makes so much sense. I mean, you know, even the last one there that I mentioned, expanding the image of what sporty looks like, that was something that I, you know, struggled with myself when I was a teenager playing sport. And I actually did drop off when I was about 17 and I came back to sport a decade later at 27. But, you know, so I really do understand that drop off. And it was college work. It was, you know, socializing. There was just numerous things, not thinking that there was a point almost was something for me, like as in if I do this continuously, you know, what am I getting out of it? And I suppose it's about changing that mindset to show there's incredible things that you can get out of it.
0: Oh, totally. And that's the change the mindset. So I think when we were growing up, we saw sport as we joined sport to get better, to get picked on the team, and to try and get on a county team or a provincial team or whatever. You know, it was always about this trying to uh, thinking that you have to get to the next level, you have to get to the next level. But that's not what sport has to be either. Sport can just be an activity that you do that you really enjoy, whether it's on your own, whether it's with a team, and the euphoria that you get from it, the feel good factor. Um, like when we looked at, it, you know, sporty, as they would entitle them to the sporty girls, but those girls who do a lot of sport tend to be more confident, because, and that can come from the sport that they're doing, so it is all about expanding that image of sport and making them realise the choices that they have, the opportunities that exist around them, so that was a big thing, and and you know, like Neve, I'm sure we probably have a, like maybe parents and stuff here listening to this as well, or, or those who wouldn't categorise themselves as teenagers anymore, but even for ourselves, do we know what opportunities exist around us? And we don't really, you know, we we kind of were branching out a little bit, maybe into hill walking now, or we're going, maybe I will start cycling again. Or maybe, you know, we're all doing yoga at home and Joe Wicks videos at home like that. So for us, it's not just about going to the gym and maybe a team that we still play with. You know, there's so many other opportunities and I'd encourage anyone listening to go, you know what, I'm gonna explore what's in my area or what I could be doing differently, um, and try and get back into some new sport because that's what it's all about. And just the you know, the the feeling that you get afterwards and the challenge and all that there, like it's it really helps off every bit of our lives, I think.
1: Absolutely. And crucially, you know, it's not about that elite level of of sport that, you know, sometimes can be mixed in when it comes to celebrating like female sports people it's like well you know it's the Katie Taylors and it's the Nora Stapletons and it's like well okay that's great not achievable for everybody like when I went back to sport I was absolutely shocking but it didn't stop me because I was you know having a great time and I think that that's kind of the mindset it's not always about that elite level of sport that you have to get to that sometimes can be lost in the messaging for women in sport I think would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I, I totally would. And for us, what we're trying to look at and, and what I do day to day in my job is talk to the sports and say, what are your beginner programs? So if I, you know, say I played hockey when I was younger and I've now got three kids and I'm in my 40s and I want to go back to hockey, what can I go back to? Um, Or I want to go back to basketball. And I don't want to go back to basketball and suddenly have to do a fitness test and have to train twice a night and have to play a match again. And you see, that's it tends to be that we have this competition pathway within all our sports. But what about me who I? Yes, I want to participate every week because I'll get sweaty. I'll my, get my heart rate up. I feel like I've burnt a few calories. It's my exercise. I'm having the crack with the girls or boys, whoever's there. So where is that for me and where does that exist? And that's what we're trying to work with the sports to do as well, that you have your pathway that's great, there's a competition, but let's give everyone else a non-competition social element that's on regularly that I can take part in Um, and it's still a sport so I can still play basketball, five-a-side soccer like, God, I missed my five-a-side soccer but that was just me and the girls, you know heading down, Friday evenings, whenever it might be, Saturday mornings and we all just played an hour of soccer and we weren't training for any competition or anything like that but we absolutely loved it, so those are the opportunities that we all need, whether it's Myself, or whether it's a 14 year old teenage girl, a 16 year old teenage girl, we need those just non competition based, uh, feel good social activities with the sports.
1: Absolutely. And um, before I let you go, Nora, as well, I just wanted to ask uh, kind of in your position as well, just and the conversations that you're having, how important is it, do you think, to progress towards? a greater gender balance for board memberships of funded bodies as well? Because obviously, you know, we're talking about getting more women involved at every stage. And I feel like Sport Ireland in particular are really targeting people who potentially may have left sport and who are kind of coming back into it. So I suppose, you know, from your position where where you are, you know, talking to a lot of the the bodies and talking to a lot of the boards and the clubs around the country, you know, what is it about getting that, you know, Uh, female representation at the leadership levels as well when it comes to sport and how crucial do you think that is?
0: It's one of the most important things and it's one of the most kind of key areas that we are targeting 100%. When I kind of first came in, I looked at, you know, what is the current board composition figure and, you know, I was able to find that out. That's fine. And I was like, well, there's no point me just knowing this information. And uh, I would have taken it... Canada do up a snapshot of women in leadership roles within their sports and I was like that's what I'm going to do here because you know we might as well publish this information to show everyone else what the current statistics are and so we did that snapshot it would have been this time last year actually the first time we went out with it and uh, some of it was good information some of it was really negative information but it was that what it was you know those sports that didn't have any females on their boards they were listed as the sports that didn't have any females on their boards and um, it, you know I didn't have any intention it wasn't about naming and shaming. it was just like for everyone in Ireland this is where we're at but we are trying to make a difference here and the sports are trying to make a difference some are a lot faster than others and um, sometimes it can depend on the leadership itself within the within the sports but I think our journey over the last 12 months has seen a complete mind shift and from the sports and the realization that we need more females in decision making on the board and contributing to that you only have to look at the corporate world or the business world to see you know it's it's kind of a I mean it's an old conversation there really, but still very relevant, but they started this conversation years ago where to get more females in those boards and now we're we're starting it here in Ireland. Um, but as I said, the sports are on a journey, they are making changes, uh, some faster than others, but it's positive to see the, the route that we are going. Um, Yeah, and it's just, it's so important. But we'll do up another snapshot again, followed up with it. But at the minute, we're 29% females on boards overall across all the national governing bodies of sport. um, And that can only improve in our eyes.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's great to hear. And Nora, as well, the hackathon is coming up and anybody who wants any more information um, about the report that we were talking about as well can go and check it out on Sport Ireland. Nora, finally, before I let you go, I'm five foot one. Never played rugby before in my life, right? Just say I wanted to get into rugby. Uh, What position do you think I would uh, be good at? I would say I'm fast, but I'm 34, so like not as fast as I used to be. Where do you think I would go? And also be careful because I might take you up on this.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, my colleague or my chair in the Women's Committee, Lynn Cantwell, who most people know as well, is probably not sh- much more than five foot one, or she'd probably kill me for saying that. And she was an outside centre. Um, so I don't think height matters. Um, I think it's about wherever you enjoyed. If you like getting stuck in and tackling and just sometimes not knowing what you're doing, then I'd say you're a forward, and they're going to kill me for that. <laughs> um, but if you like a bit of space around you, And you just want to score tries and head out to the wing uh, like Ali Miller.
1: (laughs) Amazing. I do. I just want to score tries, Nora. I really do. Okay. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And thank you so much. Great work that you're doing in Sport Ireland. And yeah, we're excited to talk to more people over the next four weeks and get the messaging out there. So we really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. I love being on. (laughs)
1: This week's episode of Girls with Golds is brought to you by Sport Ireland. For the next few weeks, we're celebrating some of Ireland's most influential women in sport and getting the message out there about participation, leadership and visibility.